Right, if you have your Bibles on your devices, you can go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 1. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 1. And if you're joining us for the first time today, we've been journeying through this wonderful Gospel, and uh, we're calling our series A Journey with Jesus. We're wanting to find out as much as we can from this amazing Savior, what He was like, how we can love Him more, follow Him more, live for Him more. And so our journey today brings us to Mark chapter 6, verse 1. It is also going to be on the screen, so you can follow I read from the ESV. Jesus went away from there, and He came to His hometown, and His disciples followed Him. And on the Sabbath, He began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished. They were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled. He marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Now this morning, I want to say this is going to be a message that's challenging for each one of us, but has got such a blessing. If we will let the word come to us today, there is such a joy on the other side of it. There is such a freedom. There is such a, a way to live, as we will see, that leads to abundant life. But the way God's word sometimes works is which I love because you know what it's like to get something wrong and learn from it, right? <laughs> Sometimes when something, someone gets something wrong in Scripture, it's the best lesson on how to get it right. And that's what we want to be like this morning. We're going to see how it was an astonishing reaction we will see to this Jesus in his hometown, which he stayed for almost 30 years, I might add. But we want to turn that into grace for us to see how we can be different. And friends, I want to remind you, coming into this wonderful part of Mark, it's coming to an end of a section. And if you listen closely to each of these aspects of this part, it is about faith. Jesus is interested in our faith. And you can see it. He changed his preaching. It started in Mark chapter 4, verse 1. He started to switch and preach in parables. It was getting harder to understand Jesus because those listening to him had unbelief. And he said, rather, don't be like that. Be like someone who lays hold of the word, the soils. He went into the parables with a good and honest heart, with patience. We are to match Christ's words in our lives with faith. If we don't, it becomes harder to understand them. Then he goes into the calming of the storm. Don't you think it's wonderful or a little bit awe-inspiring when he says to the, in response to his disciples' behavior, do you still not have faith? After all of this time, do you still have no faith? And then he goes on. I mean, it's the most beautiful section of Scripture where this, this man, oppressed by legions of demons, he's demon-possessed, he comes and he, he gets delivered from them and he wants to follow Jesus. His faith doesn't want to let him be separated from the Son of God. But the unbelief of all of those pig farmers, which was illegal, you'll know no Jew ate bacon, right? And they said, get out, get out, Jesus. They could see his power, but they responded in unbelief. They wanted their economic wealth of their pig farming over their riches of heaven. Well, what about that special lady? She had 12 years with that disease, and she was bleeding, and she'd wasted all her money on doctors. And she touches Jesus' garment, and he says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Well, what about the most wonderful? Well, for me, it's probably the most powerful miracle, the fact that Jesus could raise little Jairus', uh, Jairus little daughter from the dead. But you remember when the report came about saying, Jesus, you're a bit late, she's died. What did Jesus say? Don't fear, only believe, believe. And that is why at the end of the section, Nazareth comes in. 
because we see despite all of these incredible miracles, these people do not. And it is to be astonishing for us this morning. It is to grip our attention and go, what happened? What happened in Jesus' hometown in his lack of local place? That he, they could have such a... And you know, I'll tell you what, in Luke chapter 4, Mark puts it politely. Luke tells us that his own hometown wanted to kill him. They took him to a cliff and they wanted to push him over and say, bye-bye Jesus, we don't want you anywhere near us and we actually want to kill you. What happened? Well, I want to just point out before getting there that friends, what God is interested in is not an intellectual fascination with Jesus. He wasn't just a good man of history and a nice little teacher that you, you, you look to, to how to be a bit more of a moral person. What God is interested in when you look at the person of Jesus as the Lord of creation, as the Lord over death, as the Lord of the demonic, as the Lord even over disease, he's interested in, do you have faith in him? Do you believe he is the Son of God? And today we're going to look at a masterclass of unbelief and the awful consequences that happen to those that practice it. But my, that's just the introduction. My first point today is is an unexpected surprise. I, I want to unpack why this is such a surprise after all that has happened in this text. Let's read together from the verse 1 of chapter 6. Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown, and notice this, his disciples followed him. In other words, all of those that observed these miraculous signs that Jesus had, and there were dozens of them, they came with him, witnesses to what Jesus had done. And on the Sabbath, notice what Jesus is interested in. He's not just doing miracles. He has a message. He wants us to listen to his words. What is he doing? He's teaching in the synagogue. And many who heard were astonished. And look at what they say in response to this kind of preaching. Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Friends, things are going well for Jesus at this point. I mean, he's riding high. He's got people eating out of his hands. He has to stand on a boat. Oh, this would have been, if he wasn't the son of God, it would have been tough for any man's ego. He's got such a crowd. He has to stand on the boat so he can preach. He is doing so well. And he decides sovereignly he's going to leave this town, which we think is called Capernaum, and he's going to go to Nazareth. And he enters this local sermon, and he preaches a cracker. Let me tell you, to get a response like this is a preacher's dream. You see what's happening here? is as this Son of God is preaching, he's preaching in the flesh, he's man, both man and God, but he's preaching as a man under the anointing of the Spirit. These people are astonished. And I just have to take a few minutes to unpack again what we mean by preaching. There are a lot of ideas about what preaching is, but we need to look at the Son of God who defined it for us. And the apostles, if you read in the book of Acts, they followed this model, and I want to help us this morning cope with what biblical preaching is by showing you that Jesus himself modeled a way of preaching that was astonishing to those who heard him. And the reason why it was astonishing was because it wasn't Jesus' brilliant intellect. It wasn't his ability to make these people live off his little stories or his little anecdotes. Friends, he was preaching in the power of the Spirit, and it is different to the flesh operating. And I want to help us understand what biblical preaching is. And it's a vulnerable space to be because it requires something that I cannot bring by nature of myself. It requires the power of the Spirit. And friends, what, what anointed preaching does is not to let you say, oh, that was nice. That was so interesting. Tick, time to get on with the rest of the week. Do you know what anointed preaching does? It arrests you as a person. It creates astonishment. And the reason for it is this, is because of its authority that's coming into your life. We live in an age of postmodernism that hates any external authority. Friends, today you need to understand that culture trains you to resist and reject any external authority coming into your life. But if that is the way you are going to live, you cannot follow Jesus. By nature of our salvation, we call him Lord, right? And his lordship means this, is that you don't have the luxury to say, I am my highest authority that I pick and choose what I want to see about God and how I choose to live for him. And friends, that attitude of authority comes through powerful biblical preaching. 
It is asserting authority over your life. It says there is such a thing as the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, this God who speaks from heaven to earth. We even pray for it in the Lord's Prayer for His kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And friends, today, if you are going to embrace what God intends for you in this gift of preaching, it is to embrace authority. In Luke chapter 4's account of this moment, Jesus unrolls the scroll. Do you know what scripture he reads in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 to 2? He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I should know it off by heart. Because he has anointed me. Look at that word. He has anointed me. To what? To proclaim a message, good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, proclaim, proclaim, proclaim. But he's under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. And why am I making so much of this today? This is what produced in these Nazarenes this astonishment. And it will be the only thing that will produce astonishment in your life. I'm feeding back a little bit. Ladies and gentlemen, I ask you, what is your attitude towards the proclaimed Word of God? Because what biblical preaching does is it's not sentimental thoughts. It's not telling jokes or stories. It's not motivational where you're looking at the difference between what it is to go to a positive thinking seminar versus the scriptures. It's not pep talks, not lecturing, it's not moralizing. It is being confronted with the kingdom of God in your life and the call to change. And you notice that it's something that's happening here in Jesus' preaching from the Spirit. It's not coming from His authority. It's coming from the Spirit because we'll see at the end. He couldn't do mighty works. He was under the leadership of the Spirit because of their unbelief. There is an attitude towards the proclaimed Word of God that stifles it in the human heart, that crushes it in a church and makes it ineffective. And friends, when the anointing is at work in preaching, there is revelation. These guys knew the Scriptures. They knew Isaiah 61 verse 1 to 2 off by heart. But they saw things through the power of the Spirit operating in Jesus that they'd never seen before. They said, where did this man get these things? Not only that, there was such wisdom as he unpacked the Scriptures. There was powerful, balanced, proportionate meaning so that they could see that this man was receiving something from God. It wasn't coming from himself. Was, where did he get the wisdom to preach like this? Oh, and it pr produced a response. Why am I, why am I making, taking my time to say all this? Because... When the anointing comes upon preaching, it will produce a response in you. Do you notice what they started to do? Wow, they ask questions. Where, where did this come from? They're astonished. They're astonished. Have you thought about that for a moment? When last were you astonished by someone coming up into this pulpit, having the audacity to preach with such authority? Where's this authority coming from? They know that this, they have a message from God. They're under the authority of the Spirit and power of the Spirit. And they have this commissioning. They're not coming here because of their good idea, but they're coming to press God's message upon the hearts of those who are listening. Friends, that kind of preaching is what we offer here at SBC because it's the kind of preaching that only produces change. And unless God's Word comes into your heart and it forces you to look at yourself, who God is, what He's like, where you're going, how you're making your decisions in your life, how you're thinking about eternity, how you're thinking about your soul, how you're thinking about the work and the aspects of God's entrusted in your how you get to see your life, unless it comes in the power of the Spirit and confronts you, and unless you are open to that, you won't produce any sort of change. Biblical preaching produces a response, and, and, and I'm saying this since this morning because I don't want you to be alarmed when it happens to you. Because what these people thought was, who the heck is this guy? What right does he have to say these things to me? Friends, Jesus isn't coming here because it was his idea. He's coming because it's God's. And there's an attitude towards authoritative preaching that can result in a space of you're shutting your heart off to what the Spirit wants to do. And you will know the difference. You will know the difference. Sometimes a good preacher is a bad one. Because there's some mornings there just wasn't much of the Holy Spirit active upon the message. And you know what happened to last week? Last week it was a cracker. This week, Jesse really seemed to be struggling a bit. 
That's a good thing. Because what should be the mark upon preaching that produces change is this presence and power of the Spirit. It should be an experience of God addressing you personally and calling you to Himself. And that's the kind of preaching we want to pray for at SBC. Don't be too worried if preaching upsets you a little bit from time to time. It does me. Sometimes these guys tell me things. I don't want to change. He's six years younger than me. Some of you can do that with me a lot. But this is the point. What his disciples were after, they realized that when they responded to these words through the power of the Spirit, they could never be the same again. That's what we're interested in, friends. We want more of what God has for us. It's going to come through the power of the Spirit. And I want to ask you, did you pray for the preach this morning? When you came in here, did you pray for this weak man of flesh coming under this anointing of God? Because the anointing is what we need. We don't need clever preachers. We don't need intellectually proud preachers. We don't need preachers who've mastered the English language and done their doctors and degrees. We need preaching in the power of the Spirit that when you sit in this place, you go, this is God speaking to me. This is God demanding worship from my life and awe and wonder and repentance and change. That's what he's going to, friends, it is the highest honor when God opens his word through preaching and you get to sit in the power of the presence. You get to be near him. He draws you in in worship and wonder and awe. He gets at your heart. He starts to tell you that there's more to life than just the mundane feelings of the flesh and the little troubles at work and the little troubles with your kids. There is this God in heaven and he's coming to you with a personal message and he's saying, I love you and I'm calling you to myself and what an honor to respond to him. Not so. This is what the glory of being part of the body of Christ is. And don't be afraid of people coming in. What they're going to say in the words, we are not trusting in the cleverness of man's wisdom to save a soul, but in the demonstration of the power of the Spirit. The kingdom of God is not about talk. It's about power, friends. It is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. And it comes through this anointing, through this anointing of God's presence coming upon this preacher, the Son of God preaching to these people. They cannot, they cannot cope with it. They cannot say, well, that's so nice and interesting. They're astonished. Friends, the church needs some more astonishing. Amen? God's people need more astonishing. We are so enamored with the world around us. What we need is a God who's on the move, a God who's in control, a God summoning us to trust in His precious promises and power and this eternal gospel and word of God. We need some more astonishing. We need some more awakening. We need some more space where there's power. There's this resurrection power coming upon men who have been commissioned by God. Nobody takes up this message of preaching by their own idea. Let me tell you today, we must be as a church batting people away from this, unless there is this commissioning of God. There's no grace. There's no power. There's no anointing. Jesus could feel the authority coming from a higher power because he was responding to the call of God. And friends, the power of preaching is not to sit there and go, take my little notes and so I understand, let me tell you, the power of preaching is what am I responding to in God? And it will produce two things. There is nothing neutral about preaching. Why am I saying this today? Because we mustn't be surprised by its effect. On the one hand, I'll read it to you. This is what Paul says about preaching, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15 to 17. He says, For we, we preachers, are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Oh, but he says this. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God. In the sight of God, we speak Christ. What he's saying is, when this anointing's working, it will do one of two things. It will either push you towards life, or it will push you towards death. There's no neutral ground, my friend. And which side do you want to be on today? Which side do you want this aroma of Christ coming from the presence of God through preaching? How do you want it to impact your life? Because friends, you cannot stay neutral when God is at work through His words. And I want to take my time this morning to show the astonishing unbelief because these guys were under the power of the anointing of the Spirit and they could feel it, they could sense it, and they were offended by it. But there was more that was astonishing. Remember, my point is an unexpected surprise. These people knew what Jesus had just done. They knew that he had just done miracles. Phenomenal miracles. 
they could say this. Where did this man, how did he do such powerful works? We know it wasn't any miracles in Nazareth because he couldn't do much of his unbelief. Their unbelief, they quenched the spirit of God. They could see, they'd heard that this Jesus was exceptional. And what's even more astonishing is they had the witnesses to prove it. You mustn't just read your Bible and say, oh, some group of disciples followed him. Think about that for a minute. There were more than one boat when Jesus calmed the storm. There were crowds when he healed the woman. They were there in the boats when he delivered the demoniac. They were there when little Jairus' daughter stepped and walked out, resurrected from the dead. These witnesses were there. They could have verified the facts. They were right there in the very presence of the synagogue. And not only that, these Nazarenes, why it's so unexpected in their responses, they had more than almost 30 years of knowing Jesus personally. Now, you know, as a, as a father... The phenomenon of a sinless child. Yeah, you hear, you hear. The phenomenon of watching an unselfish child, obedient to his parents, never ever holding unforgiveness or bitterness, or loving everybody perfect. Let me tell you, it is a phenomenon. Have you ever seen such a thing in your life? This boy grew up with these people, and there was no geographical location on planet Earth that was as blessed as them. And what's even more staggering is that they're in a synagogue. How many Bibles are here? Could you just lift them up quickly if you've got your Bible? Just fling them up. Have a look at how much the Scriptures are available today. They're in a synagogue. If there was one place that they had all the scrolls of the precious writings, it was just an arm's reach away. These guys could have just gone up to the little cabinet and opened up the scroll. Jesus had just done it. He just opened up Isaiah. These people knew their Bibles. By the age of 13, they had learned to memorize vast tracts of Scripture. It wasn't their ignorance. They could have verified the facts in Scripture right in there. And I ask you, in the light of all these things, this anointed preaching, the miracles, the, the knowing Jesus person for almost 30 years, the, the, the Scriptures being in the very building where they could testify. And there's his mother. How, did you, how was Jesus born, Mary? Well, a few interesting things happened. Friends, this wasn't done in a corner. They could have checked the facts, but they didn't. And my second point is the grip of unbelief. You know, can I be honest? Sometimes when you have to stop preparing for Sunday, you start squirming on Monday. That's what it felt like for this sermon. Because, heck, when you see the Nazarites, Nazarenes, I still can't quite get it right, Nazarenes, is you realize they are in the grip of unbelief. And when you, if we are honest today, friends, what we know about Jesus how much better are we? And friends, this group of unbelief, notice what they say in verse 3. <laughs> I mean, they've just recognized all of this stuff. Is this not the carpenter? Man, he made my kitchen cupboards. Is this not Mary and brother of, of James and Joseph? Man, we did Passover with these guys. She cooked okay. Maybe her salad wasn't that great, but anyway, you know, we went to the temple together. He, he, he was, and they took offense at him. Despite all of these things, in actual fact, they end up wanting to kill him. What I said about preaching. Now, the problem wasn't because of their heads, it was their hearts. They could understand. He had wisdom. They could see that he had done these miracles. The witnesses, the, the problem was their hearts. And J.C. Ryle smacked me between the eyes with this quote. He says, The root of unbelief is never entirely destroyed. We know what that's like. It's lurking there all the time. We only have to leave off watching and praying and a rank crop of unbelief will soon spring up. And friends, I am moving to point three. Uh, there are many causes of unbelief, but can I just check in quickly with our hearts? There's just three I want to point out from the Nazarenes and I want to ask you, do you have it in your heart right now? The first root of unbelief I want to talk about is familiarity. Familiarity. What do I mean by that? Well, these Nazarenes thought they knew everything they could about Jesus. You can't tell me anything more about Jesus. I ate his bomb salad at Passover. I went to school with him. I went to his bomb mitzvah. They thought they knew everything about Jesus because he was so familiar to them. You can't teach us anything new about him. 
Isn't that what they say? He's the carpenter. He's the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas. Poor Mary, she was a very active mother, I tell you what. Not his, and his sister as well. He had a big family. You know what familiarity does, church? It breeds contempt. What do I mean by that? This is why they were so astonished. was because this Jesus is teaching us stuff we don't know. How astonishing. Isn't that the carpenter? Isn't that the son of Mary? What right does he have? What can he teach us? We know him. We're familiar with him. It produces this content. In actual fact, familiarity produces pride. It's pride. Offense is pride. You know, I love what Michael Eaton says. He says, familiarity makes us think we're all experts. Not so? Think we're so expert at this thing. And that's what made them unteachable. And I want to ask you, the thing that will make you unteachable this morning is your familiarity with this. Oh, oh, preaching on Sunday morning again. I've done this for about the 798th time. What's really going to happen? So familiar, so boring. You know, one of the things that struck me, it's happened to me more than once. Please, 70, 80-year-olds, never say this. Never say this to yourself or anybody else. But a number of times, people have come to me in that age bracket going, you know, I've, I've listened to all the preaching already. There's nothing really more I can learn, you know. I'm here because of, you know, it's the right thing to do, Jesus, worshiping, but I kind of know it all. Do you think that person's going to learn anything from the preach that morning? Friends, do you know that what familiarity does is it kills wonder? You know, I see it in my own life, and you can see it in yours. When last have you wondered about that day or that time when you met Jesus? About what he did for you? One of the fights we have with Sarah is that she can just say off her tongue, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. She'll get upset when you talk about something else, but the Son of God crucified for sin, for your sin and mine, and the wonder of being forgiven of it all and being guaranteed not in just this, this life, the, the blessing of being reconciled to God, but we've got a heaven, a new heavens and a new earth to look forward to. There's this wonder, this is all that comes to the person who's just been saved. Remember that? I mean, when last have you met a person like that? I'll tell you what, it happened at Sunny Ridge a lot. And it was these moments of these people go, oh! You know, something that we are blessed with often is we get to be in the presence of Jesus. Now just think about that. It happened this morning. I hope it's happening now. The glory of the Lord has come close to you in this place. Opening up the scriptures. When last? You know, you know what we like? Oh, what's my Bible reading plan today? Oh. And so and so begot so and so. And so and so begot so and so. And so and so. And you, you think to yourself, oh Lord Jesus, how much longer do you have to go? Maybe just skim read a little bit here. 45 chapters of Exodus! You, you, you think to yourself, oh, I've read this all before anyway. Can I tell you? This is God's inspired word over centuries of time and space. You're holding one of the greatest gifts that proclaim the presence of Jesus in your life. And the thing is this, when last have you just wondered at the joy of being able to read what he's written? Familiarity, friends. It breeds contempt. Also, when we live by our feelings and not facts. This is what fascinates me about these Nazarenes. Is this you perhaps today? They had the facts before them. They had the scriptures. They had the eyewitnesses. They had the miracles. They had the anointing of the Spirit. Well, they even had Jesus' own life story before them for almost 30 years. He was in Egypt for a little bit. But for almost 30 years, they got to be, see the demonstra demonstration of a sinless life. Friends, they are not following facts here. They're offended they're just following their feeling. And I ask you today, is that you? I just don't feel it today. I'm not going to come to church. I just don't feel it there. I'm not going to, you know, pray. I just don't feel it, you know. Or when there's pressure that comes in, things are going wrong at work. There's a pressure upon our souls. What we do is, what causes unbelief is we don't follow the facts. The facts. The facts of who God is and what He's written and what He's done. We follow our feelings. Isn't it interesting when Jesus is under temptation in the wilderness, what does he say? 
oh, when he's feeling so hungry, he says, it is written. He goes to facts. He doesn't go to feeling. And friends, unbelief is rooted not only in familiarity, but in feelings. No, faith is rooted in facts, friends. What is commanding your life? And more than that, I want to say this morning that the roots of unbelief is forgetfulness, not so? <laughs> Isn't it fascinating? You would have done this exactly the same as me. How many times has the Lord come through in areas of finance and friendships? How many times? Christians, how many times has God been good to us? And when the pressure hits again, we forget. And haven't you caught yourself saying, oh my goodness, I've been here before. Hopefully it's, it's, it's soon enough. But friends, what we forget is we forget our own personal history with the Lord. We forget His history in Scripture. We forget His words, His precious and very great promises. What I've done recently is to go back to Second Peter. I highly encourage it. Just slowly trying to remember all the things we learned from Second Peter. But in verse 4, it's there already. In verse 3, it says, His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And it comes through this fellowship with Jesus. But then it says, and His precious and very great promises. Jesus models. You know what temptation is? You know why temptation is so successful in our lives? Is the essence of temptation is forgetfulness. You've just got this pressure, this lustiness in your body or this fear coming into your mind or, or this anger coming up in your heart. It's coming at you and it's, and, and it's putting pressure. It's making you fun and it's breathing down your neck. Oh, and the, the mature way of dealing with this, that, 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 that's a faithful way, is to come at it with facts, not what it's making you feel. Facts. Friends, today I want to ask you, if you are living with familiarity, it will lead to unbelief. What can they teach you? What can all of this teach you? You're so familiar with If you are forgetful, Second Peter says, I want to stir you up by way of reminder. And the third is, if you are living by feeling, these are, the, these, these are what the Nazarenes were like. They forget God, Jesus is alive. They forgot, his, they forgot things, facts about who he is. And the effects of it is, almost done. The effects of unbelief is he could do no mighty works, Jesus. Mark talks about Jesus in verse 5. He said he could do no mighty works there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Do you know in Hebrews 11 verse 6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Then you must revert it the other way. If you want to know how to displease God, it's unbelief. Now, what do I mean by that is, sometimes in our hearts, and I want to ask you the question this morning. Remember, we must let preaching go where it needs to go. What is the atmosphere of your heart towards Jesus this morning? Is it unbelief? Friends, you know what that's called? It's putting God to the test. What it means is this is, until God proves himself, then we'll believe. But it's not faith, because he's done it already. And in our hearts, we can have an atmosphere of unbelief where we don't through the things I've just mentioned, we, we quench the Spirit. There's not an openness or a desire to change. There's not an openness to believe and take God at His Word. There's not an openness to say, Lord, I'm living not from what I can eat in my, in, in, on my plate. I'm living from every word that comes from your mouth. I'm living by what you've said, not what I see. I'm living by fact, not by what I feel. That, that there can be an atmosphere that can creep into our hearts. That's either faith or unbelief. And unbelief, it grieves the Spirit. It grieves Him. God said to those Israelites in the wilderness, he's 10 times you've tested me. They didn't, wasn't one, 10 is a good number, it's a long time, praise God for that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. No more mighty works for you, first generation. It's done. And this is what we need to guard against, friends. As a church, what we fight for is faith in the room. What we fight for is an atmosphere that's confidence in Jesus and in his words. Well, now comes my last point, and it won't take very long. I think we have to stop and be honest with ourselves this morning and say, 
I can see this in me. Yes. Or even if you can see growth, there's still a lot more to go and say, well, I want to please God. That's what, that is the response of our hearts is we want to please God. We want to be obedient to His Word. Well, then, my last point today is what's the remedy for unbelief? It's actually very simple. And if you want to give yourself to one part of the sermon, I want to ask you to give it to this today. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 to 3, it says this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Friends, if you want to experience the kingdom of God in your life, if you not only want to enter it, but go further into it, you have to become more and more like a child in your faith. It's a wonderful way to live. And I want you, when we leave this place, to observe young, young children. I'm talking about three-year-old, a four-year-old. They, they grow up far too quickly. <laughs> We're not talking about a teenager yet. <laughs> We're talking about a, a three-year-old, a four-year-old. How do you combat unbelief in your life? It's not to get all down on yourself and say, stupid, 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 that was round seven. Why didn't they get it right? Trust me, the Lord is very gracious. What you do is you flip it around and say, how do I become like a child in this moment? That's what God's going to honor as greatness. Have you ever, let's just look at that quickly. Have you ever wondered what a little child is like? For little children, the world is experienced for the first time. The thing that characterizes little children is, look at that butterfly, oh my word. I mean, it was classic. Forgive me talking. I wasn't going to do this, but I would do it anyway because my kids are such a good example to me. They're five and three. We're going to go to Hogsback. Ah! We're going to go open the pool. Ah! They are, the world is a wonder, not so. Man, we are too sophisticated as Christians sometimes. Let's be more like children. Let's be in awe of this wonderful God whose creation, what He's done for us. Amen? Let's go and say, wow, I just saw again after how many years of following Jesus that He's died for me. The Son of God's died for me. He bled for me. I didn't even ask Him. I was a scabanger. I was an enemy. I was a guy that was rebelling against Him. And He found me. And not only did He found me, He clothed me and forgave me and gave me a position in His family. Can we just be a little bit more of wonder in the place? Amen? Can we just be a wonder of what He's done in our lives? Oh, so many of you have stories of the goodness of God. Amen? Oh, we are so full of the problems and the troubles parked at us. I become like a child. You know, a child, the second thing, oh, I'm going to mess up all my points, doesn't matter, is wonder. The, the second thing is a child lives securely, not so. My boy, sometimes I'm deeply offended. The carnal mat comes out. I have just slaved over this breakfast, your pranitra, your orban, making sure it's the right low GI mixture so that you get the protein. I'm thinking about what he's eating. I've had to go and buy it. I've had to earn the money to buy it. He just rocks up and says, oh, great, breakfast. No, I hate it. don't like it. He just, he lives with such a confidence that it's going to be there. We must not be like adults in the kingdom of God. We must be like children. Do you know what is wonderful? To, to be a child, he never asked me, how much did that cost? Yeah. He doesn't care. My goodness, when birthdays come around, I wanted this and this and this and this. I was like, my boy, I'll have to sell my house to buy your birthday party. He, he doesn't think, oh, who's going to pack my bag for school? Who's going to make sure I have the right lunch? He's three years old. Friends, the joy of his life, I look and I'm jealous. Can't you guys take a bit of the responsibility? We're lovely. But that's how we're called to live. You know, in his little way, I watched him. His big task yesterday was to make a 48-piece puzzle. What a joke. I'm leading a church with a team. I've got this thing and this thing and this thing. And I think to myself, you know what? The Lord does the heavy lifting in our lives. Amen? What a way to live. Elijah doesn't even know what tomorrow means. He doesn't know what Monday, Sunday, Tuesday. He doesn't. What's today? Dad, 
Yes, uh, let me tell you, I'm getting your bag done. I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And I'm picking up and I'm hustling with this meeting and that. He's loving life because his dad's doing all the heavy lifting. You know, the problem with unbelief is we take ourselves too seriously. That's the root of familiarity. But what wonder will do is it will make you feel secure in the love of a heavenly. If your earthly fathers did a good job, how much more? Will your heavenly father you tell yourself oh get over yourself man become a toddler trust the father yes you've got your 48 piece puzzle but to the other father who's waiting for you to get it done by the way because he knows exactly how all the pieces fit together doesn't matter or what about trusting it's funny like, you know the amazing thing about my son is he believes what i say it won't last for long i tell you that you know, Elijah, you have to be so careful what you say to him because he has a long memory. You promised that. You said, oh, Lord Jesus, what was I thinking? And I have to hold it because I want him to see that I'm a, I'm a father of integrity. I'm a man of my word. How much more your father in heaven? If my three-year-old boy takes me at my promises, can't you take your father's promises seriously? Has he ever been unfaithful to you? No. What a way to live. Oh, I'm almost there. What about this? Being teachable. You know, it's the most frustrating and annoying thing little kids do is they say, why? 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 Because they know they're not experts. They know you are. And when they're asking why, it's tough, you want to shut it down, but you realize, I'm realizing every time I answer that question, I'm helping them to see the world through my eyes. It's the Father loves it when we're teachable. When we ask questions, we want to grow. We're bringing Him into our world so that we can get into His. Friends, we are not experts, praise God. We are children in a family with a father, praise God. We're not some people who have to be the heads of homes in the kingdom. Let me tell you, we've got a head. We've got an older brother, Jesus. He's the best brother we could ever hope for. We've got a counselor and helper. It's called the Holy Spirit. He's the best counselor and helper we could ever have for, ask for. Friends, we've got everything in this wonderful family of God to become children and to trust what our Father asks us to do and where He leads us. We can become like, that is how you, you, you guard against unbelief, is you never let yourself grow up in the faith, where you're such an expert, you're so self-competent, you're so self-sufficient. No, friends, the joy of this wonderful space of being a Christian is that we are children. And so for you this morning, where do you need to become like a child? You'll know your child when you're laughing again. My children have a wonderful way of just being joyful. It's the parents. It's the parents who can't sleep at night, depending on the child's age. I mean, they do get, but they sleep. Friends, this is where we are. It's where do you need to become like a child? Start with wonder. Start with awe. Trust God's promises. Live securely in His love. Be teachable. Become like a little child. And, and Jesus said, if you become like that, you'll be great in the kingdom. Oh, it's so funny. It's the one who thinks he's got it all together and his fussy theology and he's such perfect little neat, neat um, tidy little life and he knows everything. Let me tell you, they won't experience the kingdom of God. It's the one who becomes like a child. Great, great will you be in the kingdom, my friend, because great will be your faith. And what a joy. What a joy when this is available for us today. Not living, oh, living going, God is my Father, and He's not going to fail. Let's pray. Oh, I almost forgot, as we closing our eyes, J.C. Wells says something that's also very, very powerful, but very, very true. He says, the one sin that fills hell is unbelief. And Jesus commands very clearly in his word, it says in John chapter 3, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And if anyone's listening today, I want to ask you lovingly this morning, where are you with Jesus? 
do you believe in him as the son of God? That's where you start. If you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, there's no other like him. And believe in your heart that he was resurrected from the dead, that God received that punishment of sin. He set his seal of acceptance by raising Jesus. Death could not hold him because Christ had no sin. You'll be saved. Oh, but Lord, I'm grateful. We never stop needing your leadership, Jesus. And these Nazarenes, they thought they knew everything about you, but they actually knew nothing. I pray for us as a church this morning that we would be a people that see you for who you are and believe and believe. That, Father, we would learn to see ourselves as your children under the mighty and merciful hand of our Father. I pray for us as a church. Lord, we want our faith to grow. We want some more astonishing. We want some more wonder. But wonder that leads to life. So would you do that for us, we pray. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. So we're going to end with just one more song. If you want to, have any, just want to talk after the service or pray, we'd love to do that with you. But let's give our last few minutes to the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. Soften the heart of stone. 
Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Move amongst us. Thank you for your love, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Forgive us, Lord, for our unbelief. Give to us an attitude of a small child. Draw us closer to you, Lord. Draw us closer to you. Thank you that you're not finished with us. You have still great and mighty things to do amongst us. Thank you for your presence here this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you, John and the worship team. There is coffee outside this uh, Sunday, and it's good to see you. We'll see you all again next week.